Hello, friends. It's that time again. Post Thanksgiving self hatred. Is that what oh, we're all feeling right now? No. Like eating too fucking much? And yeah. is we're, that. We're back to normal now, though. Our, our stomachs and bodies seemed kind of back to normal. So. Oh, I ain't there yet, dude. I must have went uh, way. But you eat. Like, what? I'm interested, like, what your Thanksgiving feast consisted of. Uh, well, it was good. It was good. Regular food this time. We, really? Yeah. I went didn't to, know you ate regular food. Well, I went to, uh, what is it called? Sauce, the restaurant Sauce. Oh, yeah. We had that community meal. So for the first hour and a half, we served awesome food that Scott and his staff had made. And then the next hour and a half, those people served us and we ate. <laughs> so it was just a big community thing. And a lot of other people came just from the community. I have no idea what that means. What happened? Yeah. Scott Chimmick at Sauce just prepares tons of food, awesome turkey dinner type food. You oh, know? okay. So and, you run, you yeah, and then a bunch re- of, make a reservation for this? No, or? no, you just show up and, well, you, you, you know, reserve a spot to volunteer, you know, oh. to either serve or clean up. Is this like a outreach to underprivileged or? No, that's the thing. It's just for just anybody. Anybody. It's a Haney's Corner kind of thing, but he doesn't say, hey, if you live a block outside of Haney's Corner, you can't come. Do you pay? No, well, there's a tip thing, you know, and a lot of people throw in big money there to say thanks, but that's not huh. the idea. Scott's funding it, you know, him and his staff. Just to bring the community together. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Huh. And I sat with some people that we know, and just we called it our chosen family. <laughs> so I'm very confused by this, but okay. I don't know that that's yeah. uh, necessary. We did the, uh, we actually went, we went away for Thanksgiving and had like a, like the we stayed at West Baden Hotel and we had like their Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh that was fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, I could see where you would overindulge there. And uh but the awesome part was just getting up from the table, go up to your room, <laughs> take a nap. Like I mean, it was just there was no no moving parts, there was yeah. no cleanup. I mean, it was like it was it was like fantastic. Okay. So right. yeah, that right. was cool. Anyway. And in case my daughter listens to this, yes, <laughs> we also went to her house that evening, and so we have multiple people in our family from different angles. You oh, know. so you had some family <laughs> dysfunction too? Well, I wouldn't. It's just mixed up. Put kind the of fun and dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. So we had to eat again that night. Yeah. See, I had none. I didn't have any of that like annoying relative. Mm-hmm. Not that all of them, yeah. but you know, there is one or two that you just like, fuck. <laughs> are they going to be there? Yeah. Right. That make <laughs> you maybe give you, give you the reason you needed to drink too much. So <laughs> I didn't have to, I just drank too much just because. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, you got any small talk for us today? Well, yeah. An interesting thing happened <sighs> that I think you could probably make something out of. <laughs> it's just uncanny how often interesting things uh, happen to you. Oh, yeah, oh, actually, there's a lot that I won't even go into that Fair. happened yeah. yesterday. But. <laughs> All right. Well, what you got for us today? Yeah. So last weekend, uh, I'm walking up Main Street with my dog, and uh, and these two young ladies were driving down Main Street really slow, and when they get near me, one of them rolls down the window and says, hey, are you open? And, like, I just froze. That's like her in... Yeah, it wasn't like... there's. You're not leaving out any details? No, that was hey, it. Hey, are you open? Yeah, if it was like, hey, Greg, or hey there, young man, or whatever, anything, but I had no clue, just, hey, are you open? Right. And um, 
So I look around like, is she talking to me? And then I look off into space to try and think and sort out what are all the things could that mean? Mm. You know, yeah, I've been on the receiving end of that. Of that you look. looking off into space. Yeah. So apparently that was uh, one and a half to two seconds, which is way too long. Uh, I'm thinking in social right. settings. That's true. So I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. So I just said, what do you have in mind? <laughs> I just, oh my god well I thinking, that was the perfect like you nailed that i must have because they that were was, cracking up and, and what they, do you have in mind I, i'm thinking that, that i mean just, i'm not committing to anything but we can explore and i didn't mean anything by that just like <laughs> let's keep this conversation going and maybe i'll catch you on <laughs> and uh so, that is interesting like w- how you will try to figure out what someone like you try to get there on your own like it's just you saying i don't know what the fuck you're talking about like yeah that not, would have been easier not probably. you like, you just yeah what do you mean open now no. in this instance though the payoff was worth it what <laughs> you have in mind yeah <laughs> and and but what between all their their giggling and, and whatever one of them was able to say soap mary <laughs> soap shop i mean they're just in there you know like just throwing words at it i said oh you're asking me if the soap shop is open you know like i'm thinking <laughs> do you see how those are different and i had no context you know <laughs> and you did not know you no no and if i had been wow. somebody i'd just seen in the soap shop days before I, that would make sense or if i even so spent- two young women drive up to you on main street and say are you open yeah <laughs> And you're supposed to know they're talking about the soap <laughs> shop. Boy, they got more than they bargained for, oh, and that, had, that was fantastic. They had a great time, and as they're driving off, they, they take her. I told them how to get there through all the construction. They make the next turn on 4th Street, and I can still hear them laughing. Yeah, that's like it made their morning. Yeah, you killed that one. So that I told was, Mary she's either got odd. some forever customers or some never again customers. Right. But. No, I think you got them on the uh, forever. It is kind of funny. Like when you think about a response, the mm-hmm. awkwardness that that creates, mm-hmm. especially like if somebody says like, I love you or do you love me yeah. or do I make you happy? Mm-hmm. You've got a nano. You can't fucking think about that. <laughs> so the two that seconds off kid. into space oh, would be. Oh, honey, do you love me? Yes. Yes, I love you. <laughs> I love you with every fiber. You can't even think about like, because if you think, which something like that, do you love me? Are you happy? Is our relationship satisfying? It's like you should, I don't know. Maybe I'm off on this, but let me think about that. You can't say that, man. (laughs) You are fucked over if you think about your own personal happiness within the context of a relationship. Oh, yeah. You got to have something quick. I've found that I need to have (sighs) something quick. Because the answer's already there, but I'm going to think about it. You know that. So would you, mm-hmm. so I have to have something quick, but then I have to follow it up with something meaningful. Right. Like, well, of course, honey. I, I mean, you're the best, you know, whatever. But then follow it up with just like the other day, this, I couldn't have done that without right. you. You know, so it shows that, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to prove that with some words so you yeah. feel good about it. Of course, I overanalyze the fuck out of it, right? <laughs> so do. it's like, well, I mean, in certain ways I am happy, but there are ways in which I'm not completely satisfied. Oh, and man. so if I could know which categories were, you know, and yeah. so by the time I've even clarified the question, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm, I'm never going to ask him that again. Right, so, right. And, you and it's actually sincere. I mean, I am yeah. like, I want to be very precise and like, well, in what way do you, 
Mm-hmm. What, in what way are you asking me if I'm happy? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. but you got to know what the question was about. I mean, right. if it was about let's sort out and, and improve each other's happiness, right. that's a whole Which is thing. never, that's, that's never. That's not it. No, they're never asking Gosh. that. <laughs> you just fucking answer it like, yes, I'm I'm so completely happy. I couldn't have fathomed such happiness <laughs> before I met you. Anyway. Uh, so that's small. That concludes another episode of Small Talk with Greg. We're still working on that theme music. So uh, today we're, uh, what are we talking about today? Yeah, today we want to talk about what people might call anxiety. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> things that might cause us to feel uneasy, nervous. Yeah, it's interesting because people um, are often surprised, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, to find out that I have paralyzing mm-hmm. anxiety. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and I don't have the anxiety, like, when I when I have a panic attack i immediately start sweating Mm -hmm. as if i'm running a marathon Mm -hmm. in the desert (laughs) so (laughs) there's no i can't just suffer (laughs) silently right right? (laughs) with this just internal dysphoria i am like like it's just like it's obvious to everybody. Just like, hey, I am sweating for no apparent. And it's so significant that oftentimes people think that it must be life-threatening, right? Oh, wow. Oh, yes, because it's so – it's just like, I mean, in almost a, a, a split second, like my hair is soaked, my shirt is soaked, I'm sweating through. So if you saw someone sweating (laughs) the way that I would sweat, you would think he needs medical attention. Mm -hmm. And of course that just makes it worse. Right. And there's all kinds of different (laughs) sorts of anxieties, but like if clinically speaking, mine would fall into panic disorder with agoraphobia. Right. And agoraphobia is kind of a fancy way of saying, the fear of having a panic attack. Oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. So, so when, once you have a panic attack, right, then you become like fucking hypersensitive of having a panic attack. And so when I, I haven't had a panic attack in, I don't know, it's been a few years. Um, and we'll talk about how I got to that. But when I used to have them and I had them with a fair amount of frequency, I would, there's a spot on the side of my head, which I could draw a marker around hmm. that I would get fixated on because I would think it was a bead of sweat. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh no, am I starting to sweat? So then I'd be like, is that sweat? Oh, is yeah. it not? So once that train left the station, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here comes the waterworks, yeah. man. And it just, oh my gosh. And it's such, when, when I get, when my mind would get locked on, like, again, that kind of what we call the uh, the agoraphobia piece, the mm-hmm. fear of, mm-hmm. and it, on one hand, it sounds rational, but it's only the fear of sweating. Yeah. Like, the fear of sweating became, like, this thing that ran my life. Yeah. Like, what, if, oh, my gosh, am I, what if I, what if I would go into this environment, and what if I would start to sweat, and, like, what if, what if, what if, what, if, what, if, what if, and it just, but it was so... Like my, the anxiety response, I was already so triggered that it was almost, it felt, one, it felt like 
bigger than life. It it mm-hmm. really did mm-hmm. feel um, like as ridiculous as this is. It's like it felt life threatening, mm-hmm. and just the embarrassment, the shame, the you know all of those kinds of things, which and that's associated just to the with the way the brain's response is. The amygdala takes over the fight or flight response, all of that. Yeah. So then, once your primal brain hijacks the system, then it does elevate it to this sense of life threatening, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's uh, often the way phobias work as well, right? We can develop a phobia around anything, but it it's more a function of how the brain is operating. It's mm-hmm. like it could be a bear, right? But it's not, (laughs) it's am I or am I not sweating? Um, and then once it, man, once that thing gets going and I've, you know, I've had a lot of, obviously had a lot of clients struggle with this particular, there's, there's all kinds of anxiety disorders. There's, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, which is just, you know, people who have ongoing anxiety and then there's specific phobias and then panic disorder, Actually, OCD is actually an anxiety hmm. disorder. Most most people don't know that. They think OCD is just like I don't know, like they like their pens straight or yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, yeah, but there's a whole there's a whole realm of anxiety disorders that people can experience, but yeah, have similarities. Well, I noticed with you though, um, it's not as evident in your your speech or your body movement. You know, it's like, no, it's just a fucking sweat. I know. And the thing is, it could be your own little secret. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people could see the sweat, but if you didn't say anything, you know, it's like you're about it. I just keep rolling. Yeah. Oh. Because I've, I've talked with you where it's like, you're still coherent and able to stay on topic yeah. and stuff. But, uh, it's like, I'm thinking like, dude, you better get a different shirt before you go to yeah, work. I know, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, and, and it's interesting um, cause it, I, I think I had my first panic attack when I was in, uh, college and was at a, um, fraternity party and it was fall. I think the temperatures were reasonable. I was reasonably dressed mm-hmm. and soaked. I mean, <laughs> just completely my shirt was drenched i i mean my i had pretty long hair at the time and it was like dripping out oh, of my no. and i was somewhat unaware of it i didn't i kind of knew like hey i seem to be sweating a lot um and that didn't really like it, that didn't really have a consequence to it it wasn't like all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh i can't ever do that again um and then i'd have them um, so I would say frequently, maybe a couple times a year, something would mm-hmm. trigger them. Uh, and then I think when I was late thirties, early forties, went through a phase where it was, it gets in your mind where the anxiety becomes so severe. It's like, I don't know if I can live like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, I'm not like actively suicidal, but, but you're, the thinking is, fuck man, I don't know if I can face this again. I don't know if I can. And I, uh, one guy that, um, he was an author that, uh, I can't, I apologize, but I can't think of his name. He edited a brilliant book called, uh, poems that make grown men cry. Highly recommend it. Oh my God. You don't have to cry, but it's incredible. (laughs) Anyway, he has, 
this author has chronic um, anxiety, depression issues. And anyway, he described anxiety as the feeling of when you trip and fall, that feeling of falling, mm. but never hitting the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> you're just in this perpetual fall. It's like yeah. smacking against the sidewalk would be such yeah. sweet relief oh, yeah. <laughs> because it finally ends that. And so I got to a stage in my life, you know, where it's like, okay, the the doctor's now the patient. Like I, this is completely out of my control. I don't know. I, I don't really know what is going on here. I don't know what's causing all of this. And so I had to, I mean, I had to dig into it. Man. Yeah. I had yeah. to, and part of that, went to therapy, um, worked on some stuff. And it's interesting because one of the things that, one of the triggers that I had, and I had a bunch, and was when I was, I, I tested into the gifted program when I was young. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if they do that shit anymore. Um, but so I was put in this gifted program, and so I had these expectations. Yeah. At school, mm -hmm. but at home, we never fucking talked about it. <laughs> like, I had this big-ass folder of yeah. gifted stuff, yeah. and I'm like, fuck, they got this wrong. Like, I am not gifted, <laughs> right? They got it wrong. Like, <laughs> and so it was, I, I, some, of the, it, some of the things changed, but whenever, um, I just whenever they called us to the gifted class, whatever it was mm -hmm. like one day I just didn't get up. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just sat there and didn't go. Uh -huh. And the teacher didn't say anything. <laughs> like no one acknowledged anything. Yeah, yeah. It just was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so then when I went to college, like, and that, that got reinforced on some other because one thing I heard my entire fucking life from everybody <laughs> was that I was not living up to my potential. Uh -huh. If you're telling your kid that, that ain't fucking helpful, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, it's philosophically flawed, right? If I'm not living up to my potential, I don't know how the fuck to do it. <laughs> so tell me how, like, yeah. what is this potential thing? And But I just heard that, like, all the time. You're not living up to your potential. You're not living up to your potential. So then that weird little thing with the gifted class and then constantly hearing you're not living up to your potential. So then when I show up to college, it was like going back to that gifted program. Oh, no, It was like, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And um, I did my undergrad at uh, Indiana University. And there is a million miles between Wright's High School on the west side <laughs> of Evansville, Indiana, yeah. and Indiana University. Yeah, Because yeah. I was kind of a big deal at Wright's High School, yeah, yeah. and they did not give a fuck at Indiana <laughs> University. Right, like, right. No one, there was no parade. Hey, Jeff's here. <laughs> like... 
I was like an ant in an anthill, yeah. man. And uh, so all of those things combined just kind of pulled me back to that. I'm not supposed to be here. I mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this, those kinds of things. And so, and then what we loosely call the imposter complex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so this just lingering self-doubt. Yeah. And and that has, I mean, to, I've been doing therapy for 20 years, man. And there's still days I drive home and I'm like, do I know what the fuck I'm talking? Like, <laughs> yeah. is there, all, all you can do is keep doing it, you know? But then it's like, well, what? Yeah. I, I've been in those situations and it's like, well, you know what? No one else is stepping up to do this. Right. So I'm going to keep doing it. And if I'm not the best and I see somebody better, I'll switch places. Yeah, see, I get lost in my head, and I'm like, you're a fucking fraud, and they're going to figure it out. <laughs> so I've got this, like, I've got this imposter complex, right, that I've never really worked on. I've never mm. dealt with, I've never connected these dots. I've never, you know, kind of worked on those issues. And so then when I go through my divorce, right, that was the, the biggest trigger yeah. that secrets out now, mm-hmm. right? You're you're getting divorced. So everybody's <laughs> going to know what a fucking fake you are. Mm-hmm. So then I also at this point had these histories of, of the beautiful sweating panic attacks, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, that's kind of my, you know, that's been my habituated flight response. So then through my late 30s, early 40s, when I'm going through all that shit with my marriage, then all of a sudden these panic attacks are just come out of control Mm. and so so the therapy part of it was very useful just to kind of connect some of those dots Mm -hmm. and it you know what's funny what i struggled with when i was working on these issues was giving that the credibility the credence that it deserved yeah yeah. i mean and i know this i mean i I mm-hmm. take people through this journey, right, of going back and looking at these things and kind of helping them understand their personal logic. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I'm the fourth fucking grade is what like, <laughs> and it's not, it's not just that, right? Mm-hmm. It's how those things were reinforced. Mm-hmm. And so, so then for me, I didn't, I didn't really want to take medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't, it, not that I'm opposed to it. I think there are instances obviously where medication and I recommend that people, you know, take medication. I just, uh, for me, I wanted to. Yeah. Try something else first. Yeah. Dig in. Yeah. Right. And, and can we, before we get to what we might call possible solutions, would you say other people's anxiety is similar to what you were talking to in terms of the cause, like being expected to be at some level and not sure if you're there or, yeah. or can anxiety be caused other ways too? It, it at its core. Okay. Anxiety is, is an incredibly healthy, incredibly important emotion. And, and, and I even knew this, right? But that's, we have to accept that, that anxiety is, so if you think about when you drive home, right, Mm -hmm. you don't have any anxiety. You do that 
all day, every day. You know, yeah. you know it's like right. it very works. familiar. Yeah. But you think about when you're driving down an unfamiliar road at night, mm-hmm. right? You get anxious. And in your anxiousness, it heightens your awareness, mm-hmm. right? So I turn the radio down. I tighten my grip mm-hmm. on the steering wheel. I'm focused on the road. So that anxiety is improving my performance. Yeah. And... And that's what anxiety is designed to do. It's designed to really just continue to improve and maximize your performance. And that's why athletes who master anxiety, they can just, once they unlock that, then that anxiety can continue to, you know, like a Tom Brady performance in the fourth quarter. His anxiety is massive, Mm -hmm. right? But he has harnessed it to a laser-like focus to where he's just like, we've got this. And even to the point that it even looks like calm, Mm -hmm. but he's just razor sharp. Mm -hmm. So that's what anxiety is designed to do. But anxiety has this thing called what we call a curvilinear effect, right? And what that means is that if you were to put anxiety on, let's see if I'm trying to, if you put anxiety on the vertical axis and performance on the horizontal axis, your anxiety will go up to a point to where it continues to increase your performance and then it will plummet. Okay. And that right, the performance drops or does performance drop? goes to okay. zero okay but the anxiety is still the, there the anxiety becomes overwhelming okay yeah. which ignites the fight flight or freeze response mm-hmm. and then again in athletics right this is what we commonly refer to as the choke mm-hmm. when the pressure of the situation uh-huh. overwhelms somebody yeah. and they're no no longer able to perform and that's in you know, in our lives, right? That's essentially what happens is that we have a relationship with anxiety and oftentimes it's outside of our awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it's very, very useful. We get anxious about something. It improves our performance. We conquer that, but there's that point in which we caught, it causes us to choke. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what my, that's what my divorce was. Mm Mm-hmm. My divorce was the point at which all of the sudden there's self-doubt. And that's that's what causes that's what causes the choke, mm-hmm. right? Oh, is self-doubt. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Right? Yeah. So I'm I'm if I'm in a familiar circumstance, I don't have any self-doubt, right? I I can do this. But then when I get outside of the familiar into something that triggers some level of self-doubt, mm-hmm. that's when the amygdala, the primal brain, hijacks the system and it occupies me or preoccupies me with what we call perseverating thoughts. Mm-hmm. And the, what's key about that is the root of that is persevere. Mm-hmm. So when the amygdala hijacks, turns off the prefrontal cortex, the rational brain, right? Shuts that motherfucker down. That's why I can't do anything. I can't come up with anything because that system has shut down. And now I'm lost in these perseverating thoughts, persevere, because my survival brain wants me to think I have no control over these thoughts. 
And then I have to pull back oh, it's time to, run. to the familiar. Yes, <laughs> yeah. get back, get get away from them. Yeah, yeah. Right. So when you think about how that how the brain is designed to work, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've got this pretty deeply embedded self-doubt that I really am an imposter despite yeah, success yeah. or anything else. But there's not been an adequate trigger in my life to expose this massive imposter complex mm-hmm. until I get divorced. Mm-hmm. And then when I go through my divorce, and at that time, you know, I had a strong religious hair background and, you know, God hates divorce, all, all of those connotations. Mm-hmm. And so it was very much a failure mentality of divorce. And so that just shut me down. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. completely powerless yeah. and a utter preoccupation with sweat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing you had to think about. Fucking am I going to sweat or not? How many shirts am I going to go yeah. through today? Am I sweating? Am I not sweating? And that's just, but that's because, that's because the, that primal brain, right? The, the amygdala was perseverating and it got fixated on the sweat piece, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. less, less important, right? Mm-hmm. It's the process in the brain that's important of recognizing, okay, this imposter complex, dealing with this, and then that's when I had to start doing my work on on the anxiety. Yeah. Well, now I want to bring up something else about that. And uh, to your dismay, I'm going to refer back <laughs> to a little notebook the that fuck I is have. that? Yeah, it's a little notebook. It actually says on the front, notebook. <laughs> And uh, I just keep random notes. I probably got a dozen of these journals. Wow. So here's some notes from uh, August the 6th, 2013. So that's been a few years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> anyway, I had asked you, we were sitting having coffee, and I said, Jeff, again. You write shit down that I say? I, I'm sorry. It's fucking I do. creepy. I know. But it was good, you know? Well, I mean, I've got tons of stuff. It does And don't feel too special. I write stuff down that my granddaughter <laughs> says. That, well, that seems more, yeah, yeah. that's like, well, that seems, anyway, yeah. okay, let's. Yeah. Uh, Suddenly, anyway. now I'm having a fucking panic attack. I know. Attack. I was I'm like, I'm sweating. <laughs> What's he going to say? Am I sweating? I feel like I'm sweating. No, don't Jeez, touch that spot. I a, know. some drop on your forehead. I wonder forehead. if I could work up a panic attack. I haven't had one in a long time. <laughs> okay. No, but the key in what you mentioned to me what, seven or eight years ago was some of these um, perceptions are real, but some of them, well, I guess they're going to be real, but the belief uh, may not be well-founded. Right. So like, yeah, I'm thinking that this is bad, like in your case, that I'm an imposter here or I'm not meeting expectations, period. Uh, but I can imagine it's, it's a guy could go through something where it's like, I, I think this is all true, but it's not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that seems like slightly different to, I mean, they're, they're both important, but one would be like, well, let's sort out what's not true here. Right. You know, and maybe you're, you're going to be okay if you just deal with what is true. And that is part of the internal work. Okay. Right. And so the, the process for me of kind of dealing with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. First thing is I had to accept anxiety. I had to accept the fact that because what anxiety does is anxiety causes you to constrict. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you oftentimes bedwetting in children is a result of anxiety because they're, they're very anxious 
and then they can't fully void. And then when they fall asleep, then they're relaxed and then they, they wet their bed and then that bedwetting can then become a source of anxiety and it can just, you know, that sort of thing. And so it, it, you, you, when you have an anxiety disorder, you fight the anxiety. You just mm-hmm. get in this, mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, I can't feel this. Oh no, what am, you know, and it's like, it, it, the first thing was just accepting the anxiety. And, and I had to do a lot of mental work on that. Like, I'm going to feel this. It's going to feel really uncomfortable and then it'll be over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and so I'm just going to let myself feel this. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let it. I'm not gonna get into a fight yeah, with it. Yeah. Oh no, I can't. And and not that I'm thinking these things consciously, but that was the first step. Is when I feel that little bit. It's like I'm not gonna fight this. If I sweat, I sweat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sweat's not gonna run my life anymore. Yeah. Okay. And that's and that sounds like a subtle thing, but when you're when it's part of your survival brain the amygdala right these perseverating thoughts that shit's fucking powerful Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's it's part of your survival mechanism Mm -hmm. and so when that thing gets going on something and it starts shoving these irrational thoughts you can know with 100 percent certainty that it's irrational but once that hijack it doesn't matter right yeah because the rational brain is shut off now the fight or flight freeze response. And so then it was just, okay, I'm going to feel this. There's going to be times where I'm going to sweat. If I sweat, I sweat like, so I had to do a lot of, a lot of work on that for my rational brain so that if I felt that spot on my head, that didn't allow the amygdala yeah. to take over. Yeah. And you I could stay early. in my rational brain. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, if I sweat, I sweat, you know, yeah. it's just whatever. Yeah. And then get back to present. Mm-hmm. So before I would be completely preoccupied with that spot. Right. And you may not even, you wouldn't know it, mm-hmm. but I'm completely disconnected from our conversation. So I had to get back. I'm, if I sweat, I sweat. Greg's my friend. He doesn't give a shit if I sweat. If people, if I start to sweat, if people like ask me if I need medical attention, <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, I don't mean, I'll be just fine. Just, yeah, just give me just a minute. Yeah. So I had to do a lot of, a lot of mental rehearsal mm-hmm. when I wasn't triggered for when I was triggered. Yeah, yeah. And then the second thing that really just changed my life that um, I've talked about before is meditation. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the hardest thing that I have ever done in my entire life. And the, the practice of meditation, right, is it's rooted in what we call anchoring. And so when I meditate, I pick an anchor, something that I'm going to focus my rational brain on. Okay. And then I'm going to do that for a determined period of time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I started out, I did 10 minutes. Wow. That's a lot. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> and, and my, and what was so difficult, right? So I'd pick my anchor and my anchor was just feeling the air pass in and out of my nostril. Yeah. That's what I was going to focus on. But what I couldn't stop thinking about was time. Uh So I'd anchor for a nanosecond 
And then I think, I wonder how long it's been. I bet it's been, <laughs> I bet it's been. And so I'm not, you know, yeah, so I'm lost. Yeah. And then I had to pull, oh, geez, man, stop thinking about time. Get back to your anchor. And it was so defeating for so long. Mm-hmm. And then the the biggest thing that I had to learn in meditation was no judgment. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a good session of meditation or a bad session of meditation. Okay. It's just meditation. <laughs> yeah. Some days... I can focus and it's uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. Other days, depending on my stress level, I focus for a half a second and then my mind wanders. There's no judgment. You know, I'm not, oh, fucking this is, this shit doesn't work. Or I suck at this. It's just pull my mind back to focus. Mm -hmm. And then I lose focus. And, and that, that part of meditation was what really changed just everything for me was mm-hmm. the non-judgment mm-hmm. because I didn't realize how much and how harshly I judged myself mm-hmm. all the time. And that's what fed the imposter complex. Yeah. And it was almost like every day became more stressful because shit, I pulled it off today. I don't know if I can pull it off again tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then and then the, the background noise, right, those perseverating thoughts were like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not even really helping people. Just stuff that I wasn't even consciously aware of but was there constantly. And all of that went the fuck away. Mm. And it was, and with that, right, took away that self-doubt. Mm-hmm. It just, there was no judgment. Yeah. It was, it. I'm not, okay, what went well about that session? What didn't go well? And so rather than just judging myself as a person, I could start to assess my behaviors. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't become painful, right? It was okay to assess a behavior. Yeah. Like, I kind of fucked that up. I want to yeah. fix that. Yeah. But when that's just, when that is my identity, mm-hmm. I can't go poking around on that. You know, that's that's me. I have yeah. to I have to try to convince myself that it's okay and then that just becomes completely externally dependent. Mm-hmm. But through the process of of switching that from what we call internal external locus of control to internal locus of control, my everybody around me tells me who I am. Oh, no. To <laughs> I know who I am, yeah. But yeah. it's an honest assessment, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good at some shit, and I'm bad at some shit. Yeah, and you know, it's not like I'm super de duperty good, and I can be. It's not that bullshit. Yeah. It's the ability to really look inward and assess yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, there was a there was a time where I would have said that that period where that my anxiety was debilitating. I would have said, I hope I never go through that again. But to get to where I'm at, if that comes up again, that curvilinear right to where all of a sudden there is growth on the other side of that, that I promise is beyond comprehension. Wow. And it looks like that, I mean, I'm just connecting the dots to lead to 
identity, from identity to self-awareness to authenticity. So if we can be totally, uh, well, I'll call it self-aware. That seems simpler just to say that, like, I know I'm good at some things. Right. And I know that even within those things, there are times where I mess up. And and if you can nail that down, then it's like your anxiety could could level off. You know, you could say, this is a, a moment where I need to perform. It just, it's, that, it's like Tom Brady, right? Yeah. It just continues to push. Yeah. And enhance. So then, then that anxiety, it you're even more aware. Mm-hmm. You're making better observations about yourself. Mm-hmm. You're honing in even more. It's it's like a skill. You know, it's it's anything that I do that's human interaction, partner to my spouse, parent. It's skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm getting feedback about. Re- how to improve a skill rather than if I do or do not suck as a human being. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's how you're applying stuff, you know, and, and this may sound weird, but failure is okay. It's like, okay, wow. I won't make that mistake again. Not like failure is fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, 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 on a, at least right with failure, the one thing that you're guaranteed every time you fail, if you choose to pick yourself back up, mm-hmm. is to develop resilience. Mm-hmm. You're going to grow in your ability to manage life. Mm-hmm. But then, what is it, Franklin, whoever said, um, you're one step closer to the right answer. Yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, we, we go through this every time. We yeah, I know. We need to figure out who kite. that guy is. We'll put yeah. that in the comments or Thomas something. Thomas Edison, yeah. let's do that. Right. Well, I was watching a YouTube video the other night trying to change a, a valve in a plumbing thing, and it's like, well, let me watch this guy do it. And I noticed the way he was holding the pliers. I, I'm thinking, dude, you probably ought not do it that way because when it slips, it's going to squeeze your finger. And as he turned it, you could see his fingernail was black. <laughs> Where have you done that before? And I think, well, this is not good. You've done this before. You know this is going to happen, right. and you're doing it this way again. So, what but, the, but that, but that is a perfect example, right? Of identity mm-hmm. versus behavior. Mm-hmm. When it's identity, this is who I am. Then I stay in unhealthy, destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. To prove that I'm okay. No, this works. This I I can make any I mean the dude's probably gonna end up getting his fucking finger cut off versus when I can separate myself from that mm-hmm. and say this is a skill that I either do or do not have, and I either need to improve it, want to improve it. Mm-hmm. But when it's me, right? Oh yeah. When it's just then I fight to justify destructive, unproductive behaviors. Huh. No, this is fucking way it should be, whatever. I don't, yeah. I, I don't even have that objectivity. Yeah. And, and all of us have that point, that, that area of self-doubt mm-hmm. where the fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze response is going to kick in. The behavior is going to plummet. Mm-hmm. perseverating thoughts are going to kick in. You're a fucking idiot. You shouldn't have ever yeah, tried that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the brain has to say to get me away from that. And that's where our growth is. Mm-hmm. And that's where we can have breakthroughs. And it's, it ain't fun. Okay. 
<laughs> it ain't, it doesn't matter how many Tony Robbins videos you watch and watch them. I watch them. The dude can get me jacked up as hell. Did not help me with my panic attacks. Right. I had to accept the discomfort. Uh -huh. I had to accept that this is, this is going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and I can handle the discomfort mm -hmm. and then move into and through the discomfort. Mm-hmm rather than distracting myself from mm -hmm. it. And we can do that now. And that's where, you know, I like to bitch about life coaches just because it's fun <laughs> for me. Yeah. But this is one of this is one of the areas where the the bitching is oftentimes they make it sound so easy. They make it sound so you know like your breakthrough is coming and you're good and it's like nope. <laughs> nope. And the other thing is, then we end up just watching fucking videos, listening to goddamn podcasts, keep listening to ours, please, <laughs> and avoiding telling ourselves we're preparing to do the work, but we don't ever go do the work. Right, right. Because that work is fucking hard. It's hard, yeah. And if somebody's telling you that it's not, they're lying to you. Right. Because when you get out into that area of self-doubt, mm -hmm. it's fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. And your, your brain is not going to be your friend because your survival yeah. response is going to take over. And you are going to feel powerless to your thoughts, perseverating thoughts, persevere. Mm -hmm. You are not. You can conquer those thoughts. And on the other side of that limiting belief is some discovery. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying you're going to be the next American Idol. I'm just <laughs> saying there is some self-discovery yeah. that is going to take you to a much better quality of life. Yeah. Well, that, that's awesome. So if our listeners were to take something from this... <laughs> their ball scratcher. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, um, your self-awareness and then building that through these... Um, maybe we'll call them panic attacks, but going through that, building a self-awareness, uh, and then some prep work with the meditation so we understand how to harness that. And find, you got to dig up those false beliefs, right? Yes, I had to yes. face that imposter complex yes, yes. And, and get out of that cycle of every day trying to prove right, myself. Right. And, and that's where, you know, if it weren't for the, if it weren't for my divorce, you know, where, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it's, I would have never been forced to right. a place where I have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And, and again, the discomfort was debilitating and the payoff was absolutely worth it. Yeah. And if you're in that place, uh, if you're, or want to go into that place, uh, hit us up, man. Yeah. Uh, we don't want you to venture into that alone. And if we can help you navigate that, uh, I've been there, man. Uh, and it, it can feel, it can feel very frightening and alienating, uh, if you don't have a roadmap. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jeff. And like you said, if guys want to dig deeper, um, hit us up on Facebook at Becoming Man Made Today or go to the website, 
becomingmanmade.com. Yeah, no, I guess we just start singing Christmas music. For <laughs> I can't wait for that. Months. We need yeah. to have the outro Christmas music for no, the next two months. Absolutely not going to do that. All right, listeners, Except, thank unless you. it's a, unless it's Little Drummer Boy, I can do. That. I love that song. Oh, I can listen to that thing about perpetually. This? Yes. Yeah, so. Well, they got two versions that I know you would love. I'll bring them in next time. I look forward to that. All right, thanks. <laughs>